1: Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co host, Gina Gaudio Grace, the co founder of Divisio, the affiliate network for companies doing good. And I've also got Andrea Adams Miller, the founder of the Red Carpet Connection, on with
2: me. She is my co host and executive show producer. How are you? I am absolutely wonderful. Uh, we have a really fun day today, um, a special treat. Um, recently, I unearthed uh, through a connection I've already had for over a year that we are connected to the heir, uh, the son of the founder of entrepreneurs. So us as entrepreneurs, who would have known that we knew the man, well, the man, the son of the man, who um, not only you know started in entrep- as an entrepreneur, but his wife coined the term entrepreneurship back in the 30s or 40s or some somewhere along the line. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's a super fun thing, um, uh, super exciting. I had the pleasure of hanging out with him this weekend as well. Um, to learn more about him and what he does. So let me share with the audience's bio. So we have Dr. James OMS. Um, he is the current president of the International University of Entrepreneurology. It's a unique virtual school of experiential learning focused on entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, so basically the study and principles and values that set aside extraordinary men and women who have entrepreneurial skills and talents. So the discipline is about merging knowledge and experience, filtered through one's imagination and natural talent for creative endeavors. This organization has a long-standing, established credibility and it's regulated, or reputation, excuse me, since 1972 in the state of Hawaii by founder Professor James Umps. Um, he was born in 1921 and passed in 2014. So uh, that was the set. So, with 40 years' experience in the field of entrepreneurship, James has led the International University of Entrepreneurology, awarding credentials in entrepreneurship. So, he identifies issues with clear missions of revitalizing the stagnant and shrinking economies and believes that we should learn something new every day. He's also a professional musician, composer, and writer, and he's a third partner in Corporate Heart International. Which is a business that's been ongoing, um, really showing uh, corporations how they can lead with heart and really change the corporate culture to be one that is of acceptance and of great conversations to create a better world around us. So, a uh, super exciting. Uh, James, can you hear us?
0: Yes, I can.
2: And we're great. going to call can you, Jim. You, so we're less.
0: <clears>
2: oh, <throat> we, we even better, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. So, so Jim, because I know you really well, there's a lot of things I know, but I I knew Gina would be really excited about talking to you because she's been a a serial entrepreneur for years. So, Gina, if you would like to start asking questions, I'll let you start uh, because I'm sure you're you're like, wow, entrepreneurship, wow, a school where we can get a degree in entrepreneurship. How school, How cool is that? You can actually get a degree in entrepreneurship from you guys?
1: (laughs) Yes. Holy cow. Jim, take it away. (laughs) A dream come true. I've always wanted to have an accredited program in entrepreneurship. It's badly
2: needed in our society today. It is. Jim, are you able to take that and, and say how the school came about and what's going on with that?
0: well the uh the school the uh the IUE was established initially as the international institution of entrepreneurship it was established by my dad and a couple of his colleagues on the, the heels of a, a very successful uh series of seminars they did and the dad did in uh, in taiwan back in 1972 uh, it's the The discipline of entrepreneurship actually began uh the research and, and the development of the discipline started in nineteen sixty four uh when Dad was with the Ford Foundation in india uh, and it is it has obviously evolved since then along with uh the institution so uh it's uh the the history is uh, it's long, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, but it's uh, and it's been a, uh, a a learning a learning experience for for me certainly, uh, being able to work with the uh, the people that Dad uh, connected with over over the years, and uh, the, so the the it actually it went from international institution of entrepreneurology to international university of entrepreneurology in uh uh 2000 right at the at the turn of the uh the, the century as it were uh at the suggestion of some uh, some very interested parties we had uh in uh taiwan so it's um again uh, the the discipline and the progress that we've made over the years. Uh, the progress has been slow but very steady, and it's the interest in what we're doing. Uh, I see it picking up at this point in time, which that's that's very gratifying. I know that uh, Dad always wanted to see it uh, become what it it it. it, it seems to be doing at this point in time I, I regret that uh, that it didn't gain more traction prior to his passing uh, but he always uh, maintained a uh, very strong interest in what was going on when i in in the last couple of years every time I would go to see him uh, he although he he wasn't as as sharp in in many ways uh well when people, he was 93 when he died so in in those last couple of years but he always got so excited when i would come we would talk and his his clarity of mind was amazing at that point uh so it's uh, it's in, and and entrepreneurship is a living uh discipline because things as you know change so rapidly that to in order to uh, to keep up with the change that's going on in in the field of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, it's it's a constant uh, a constant gardening process
2: well one of the things um um, I'll, I'll be candid with everyone. Jim is expecting a call from an emergency call at the same time he's on the air with us. It's not like a medical emergency, we hope, uh, for one of the people that he consults for. So, Jim, if you get that call, just say, I'll be right back, and go ahead and get that call, and we'll go ahead and cover for you. Um, but okay. I did want to share <laughs> that with the school. Um, you know, you can get your master's in entrepreneurship and your PhD and Gina how and and the world, how that works is um, you know, just like with any school you have to be able to show how you why you deserve this, how you deserve this, what you've done, what you've accomplished and some of the things that are really cool about uh, what they do to get that out of you is they also want to know what your failures were. Um, so the School of Entrepreneurology really understands that it's through your failures that uh, you have um, experienced and shown uh, some of the um, value in learning that you don't get from an academic book. As what are some other things that uh, differentiate what you guys do as an experiential, experiential learning body um, in, in your eyes, Jim?
0: Well, and, and you mentioned uh, the the initial. Uh the initial piece of the admission element, uh, we call it a, a CAP. It's a career achievement profile. That's what every applicant for a, a degree, we ask them to fill out a, a career achievement profile. And it, what it does, I, it asks questions about, as you mentioned, what what have you done during your life, during your career, or careers, as it may be, as as, as the case may be, what have you done? How did you learn? What did you learn? And as you said, uh, where have you failed? Uh, and what what did what what were your best learning experiences? What what were the experiences you had where you feel you didn't learn as much as you thought you were supposed to, or as maybe other people thought you were supposed to? And then again, uh, so how did how did how did you? move on from that point uh, and the other thing uh, that you mentioned and I'll and I'll take that up one of the biggest differentiators when my dad was at the University of Hawaii he wanted to develop and implement a course in the business curriculum called failure management uh, and the title alone is what what sank that particular project because they said you can't you can't Offer a course called failure management. My father said, "Why? He said, managing success, managing elements of success, that's easy because they kind of take care of themselves. You just have to, you have to, like like herding sheep. You just got to kind of keep keeping keep them moving forward." He said, "But if you understand the elements that could cause you to fail." And if you recognize those elements and if you manage them, the odds of failure are reduced significantly. And they said, well, I understand what you're saying, but you can't do it. But we offer, um, again, we, we, we finally implemented the course, and it is called failure management. And that's, that was, um, like I say, one of, one of Dad's uh, most um, interesting Uh, courses Uh, and all of, and the, and you, you mentioned uh, that, yes, in fact, we do, we offer degrees in, um, we have a a, a master's, we have an executive master's and we do have the PhD and it's, it's based the, the um, that is based basically on what, uh, on filling out the career achievement profile, because it is, it is an experiential degree and uh, we, we have offered from the beginning uh, credit for life experience. A lot of other universities are doing that now, but they're not very generous with it. Uh, For example, one university I know of, they'll they'll take 10 years of experience, and they'll give you three credit hours for that. And I thought, hmm, wow, 10 years and I get three credits? What a deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to jump in here for a minute because... My undergraduate degree came from DePaul University in Chicago, and Uh specifically out of their adult education program. I was in the third graduating class of a very unique program that still exists today. The program is not credit-based. It's competency-based. So instead of taking a certain number of credit hours, you had to prove competency in 50 different areas. Well, you could prove your competency with either taking a class, at the end of it, passing a test, or through life experience. So I got to do things like I was a very accomplished classical guitarist. And I actually had an audience with Andre Segovia when I was 16 years old. So through a concert that I gave for the professors at DePaul, as well as some of the administrators i was able to prove my competency in music things like that
0: uh-huh
1: so i love the idea that you have life experience credit because that's for me how i got my undergrad degree now i did go on to law school and had a traditional credit-based degree from notre dame for
0: that but of course i mean yeah i i've,
1: I've I very much am interested in getting my Ph.D. I started it. I stopped it because I got into a car accident, but I really would love to complete my Ph.D. And, boy, if I could do that in entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship, that would be like a dream come true. Is that also well, a competency-based yeah. program?
0: Uh and I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I when listening to the competency, you're you're talking about the competency-based program, which I I quite admire. I mean, I and I remember in in uh, in schools, I knew you could you could challenge courses. You could take an exam, and if you passed the exam, uh, they gave you credit for the course. Uh, and there was also, of course, you know, I I, t- I took a few courses on a pass fail, simply because I wasn't sure. You know how how deeply I wanted to get into something, but it those when you get to competency, it makes more sense to me to say, you know, if 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 you can show that you're competent in this or this or this or this, uh, that's uh, that's that's real world, and that's where we try to uh, to separate ourselves as well. In other words, if if it's if it's reality based, if it's, if it's if it's real world applicable, that's the most important thing because of all of the things I learned in my formal education, uh, I would, I would be hard pressed to say I probably used to to any depth, uh, 30 to 35% of, of what I had, of the classes I had sat through. So, and, and, uh, to answer your question straight out, Gina, um, I would be personally uh, honored to uh, to uh, to uh, look over the, uh, the a career achievement profile that you would fill out. I, I'm sure I would find it interesting, and uh, I have no doubt, given what I've heard you say and what I've heard people who know you tell me that uh, you're more than qualified for a doctor of philosophy in entrepreneurship.
1: Oh, my goodness. Please, I would love to complete that. Thank you so much. Truly a dream come true. That's on my bucket list. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's pretty, you know, you brought up something, Jim, that um, makes me really excited, thinking about, you know, Gina and I and you that are all entrepreneurs, and I had the pleasure of being a a college professor, I guess professor is not the right word, I was an adjunct professor, I guess, and.
0: um, Oh, very quickly, uh, not to interrupt, but very quickly. Oh, go ahead. If you get a degree from us, you are adjunct faculty. (laughs)
2: Oh, well, there you go. I, I was going to ask you how I could do that, too. Um, you know, that's funny. I just realized, I, you know, I said I was a professor, and I said, no, I wasn't that. I was an adjunct professor. You know, regardless of whatever, I'm still a professor.
0: <laughs> well, and, awesome. and let, let me clarify. You know? uh, please, yeah, allow me to clarify that. Adjunct yeah. professor, of all of the courses, all of the courses I took in in colleges and universities, the one course that stood out to me was a business law course, and it was taught by an adjunct professor who was a sitting local judge. <laughs> he was able to tell to to explain uh, to to a to a the layman what goes on what what is what is law all about adjunct professor to me that says this is not only the the theoretical uh, a man who knows, the, a minor woman who knows the theoretical point, they know how it applies in the real world because they do it.
2: Uh, well, thank you so much. I'm going to take my adjunct professor title even more um, uh, as a higher level of distinction then. because Absolutely. Because uh, with, with teaching my students is that, I mean, th- that's one of the things like I didn't want them to just have theory and um, it's I wanted them to actually physically do things. So, um, I mean, all my, my, my psychology class. So we, we talked about, um, about the brain and psychology and so forth. So I went and got a cadaver brain. I mean, not, I didn't dig it up from the the grave skies. So I went and got it, got it, borrowed it from a medical school <laughs> or medical area anatomy lab and brought it in. So my students could see exactly. These are the areas. This is where this is learning. I, even though they, you know, and that, I mean, they're not, um, you know, being medical or psych- psychological students in that regard, but I wanted them to see things and touch them and feel them and experience them. And then I would have them practice like this is what people do when they're consulting. This is what it's like when people ask. I would set up like role-playing things so that they could experience what that was like and what the difference is between things. And I I love that now when I think about that, I didn't realize that that's who I was all along as a teacher and that explains why my classes were always full and that I would always have to get approval to have, I always had like five to 10 extra students in my class and I got paid the same wage as the other teachers, but my classes were always really full and my my students showed up every day I didn't have kids who didn't show up to class and I had kids who thanked me for flunking them and then took my class again so they could pass it because when they flunked they deserved it and I talked to them about it and they and they they expected it you know so I it just makes me feel really proud to have talked to you to hear what I what I did made a difference um so thank you for letting me share that
0: sure certainly
2: yeah so so, Gina, the, what's really cool about what, the things with the school, the more I learned about it and what they're doing is it's, it's not based on – we have a lot of limits here in the United States for um, how the credentialing done, how things are perceived, what things are done. And what I love about their university is it's beyond the United States. so. It takes in the cultures and the um, information from uh, other countries all over the world. And Jim and his uh, wife, Pauline, um, who's also part of the school, uh, they have worked with dignitaries and politicians and um, all kinds of amazing people all over the world to have really brought a deeper understanding to learning. Uh, Jim, do you want to elaborate on anybody that you guys have dealt with?
0: Well, the um and I don't know I don't know if Pauline mentioned it, but uh in, in addition to what we do with IUE, uh both of us are uh, connected to the World Union of Small and Medium Enterprises, which is headquartered in San Marino. Uh and the I I am I'm a vice president and a member of the Board of Directors, Pauline, and uh, I'm also the, the sitting chair for the uh, Committee for Small and Medium Enterprise Development. Pauline is also on the Board of Directors for uh, the World Union, and she is the head of the Committee for uh, Women's Affairs. Uh, they are connected to the United Nations, uh they have a, they have consultative status with the UN and uh we've had the opportunity to work with them uh over uh, about the last 10 years now and uh they're uh they 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 know that the the most creative and innovative people uh can be found in that, in the small and medium enterprise sector so it's it's fascinating to To be able to reach uh, reach these the people, uh, they have their membership is a, I, I, It's in a, it's in addition uh, an excess of a hundred nations that they're connected with. So it's that's been uh, the, truly uh, a, a great experience uh, for us. Uh, and other, than, I mean, we like you mentioned, we've met. Uh, and worked with uh, several people in in other countries. Malaysia, we were there for four years, as you know. And uh, during that time, uh, we worked. Oddly enough, Gina, we worked with a a law college, uh, and it's uh, the just the experience of seeing how things work in other countries. The one thing we found in common with education is, uh, especially in a conventional education, is that we continually teach students to look for the right answer because you you, you give uh, tests uh, that are that are rote based, and you say you know there's only one right answer to this question, and the reality, as as both of you know, in the real world is there's no such thing as one right answer for the question. What you need to know is how to find the answers you need, where to go, and and again, how to locate those answers. Because, that, because change moves at a pace that's difficult to keep up with. And what you have to what you have to be able to do. Nobody can store all the answers in their head. So it's it's a matter of knowing where to go, and it's. Every country we visited, every, every group, international group that we worked with, uh, that's the one thing we try to leave with them is, you know, you're, we're, we're looking. We want to teach our, our most creative and innovative people uh, where, to, where to look, what to do to find the answer you need. And it may not be the answer, but over time, you can always change things because that's the that, that's the only constant we can really uh, that we can really take stock in is that change is going to occur and it's it's a matter of being able to adapt to the changes you find
1: i couldn't agree more and i'm going to jump in here for just a minute when i'm teaching more often than not when i'm asked a question, my answer is is an answer that the students don't usually expect, and they usually tease me about it over time. And that's because my answer is, well, it depends. And it can depend on so many different things, especially when you're talking about business and entrepreneurship. For me, it usually depends on what's the outcome that you're looking for, and then based on the outcome you're looking for, what's the answer that's going to give you the biggest possible results in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort? And that's really what leverage is all about. Now that we're on Leverage Masters, I, I have to bring that up. Right? And I'm sure that you find the exact same thing when you're teaching as well.
0: Well, your, your analysis right there, I mean, I, I love your answer. It's absolutely spot on uh and it's it's exciting gina when when i when you find people that that see things uh perceptually and you know much like like you yourself do and i mean I, talking with you talking yeah. with you listening to what you say it's it's good to know that there are people out there that see things uh, from from a very real standpoint. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And uh, teaching really is my passion. It's not what I do. It's more a part of who I am. So if there are ever any opportunities to teach any aspect of entrepreneurship, please just let me know. I would love to get back to doing more teaching.
0: Well, I like I said, I I appreciate the opportunity I've been afforded to to stand on my soapbox, uh, but it's uh, I I uh, you know and, and I love the title of the show Webmasters. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, leverage masters because you can leverage so much and it's keeping up with the change.
1: It really is. And, you know, it's the one thing we really can guarantee our listeners change is inevitable. Nothing stays the same. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing, right?
0: Yes. Yes. It is. Do you, are you familiar with, who, you know, who Alvin Toffler is? Was. I do. Uh, yes, was. One of my favorite quotes comes from Alvin Toffler. He said, He said, Change is inevitable. He said you can embrace it or you can fight it. But he said if Hmm. you fight it, it's like scrambling for a deck chair on the Titanic.
1: Oh, boy. Yes, that is so true, right? Absolutely. And really, as entrepreneurs, if you look at the most successful entrepreneurs, they're the individuals that really develop the skills that allow them to plan for change because it really is both an art and a skill. And if you build that plan into the business, you're going to constantly be getting scale and going to higher levels, making bigger impacts, and in the end, making more money.
0: Yes. Yes. It's uh, Again, we're, we're in a... a and the the thing of the thing we all realize about technology is, it's driving things so that change comes more rapidly each Absolutely. day. Absolutely, yes, it certainly
1: does. In the last week, I've met a number of young people, like twenty-four. One was twenty-five. One, two were twenty-seven. Each of them coming out of high school, wanted to go to college, didn't have the funds to go to college. So all four of these individuals started their first business as they were seniors in high school so that it could get them enough money that they could actually afford to go to college. Well, today, one has 14 homes that he rents out and is in the process of buying his first 110-unit apartment building. Another one has 12 different Verizon stores and is in the process of buying eight more. That's the youngest one. That's the 24-year-old. What advice can we give to people who have kids in high school and college to help them help their children to experience entrepreneurship?
0: Well, and I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's a, a toughie because uh, parents, as, and I mean, I wasn't this way, but then that's because my dad was a little easier on me. But, you know, parents want the best for their children. Go, go get an education so that you can get a good job. Well, a good job is being an employee. What we need more than ever today is employers. And these guys are talking about are employers.
1: That they are. Oh, my gosh, that they are. Very, very true.
2: Well, one of the things and that what I find I... really exciting about young people is, um, like, I'm working right now with a 22-year-old who's a brilliant. And I was already thinking of the skill set level that he has. So he doesn't have the academic smarts. He doesn't have the social skills yet. Um, uh, he wants them. Like he was very eager to learn from me and was very excited about things, but the things that I'm learning from him that I just found fascinating with technology and systemization. So he has a skill level in an area that I have lacked and it's so impressive that, um, you know, like I'm already seeing that if I were to put him in a regular college setting, he, it would be so slow for him, and it would take him forever, and he would have already adapted it and created it into something and made it an online e-commerce, By and, and we would have held him back by having him be in traditional school. So our traditional school for this kind of area, it, 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 he would he would do well to, to do regular school as well. I mean, I, I love regular traditional um, academics as well, but it would hold him back because we don't have textbooks that are already peer-reviewed and approved and written and based on research for people who are doing things with technology. It's it's, slow, be- oh, and we can't keep up with them. We have to allow our academics, traditional academics, to have this open eye to innovation and invention.
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's it's uh it, it, it like you said things things move too rapidly for change moves too rapidly for the the uh, I, 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 very quick example my dad was trying i wanted to get a a course into the curriculum for the business school and you know he said it's he said by the time you get it by the time you get all of the content and everything figured out you submit it to the to the school it takes 18 to 24 months to get it into the curriculum. And he said in 18 to 24 months, it's history you're teaching. So uh, things – and, and, and as, as, as Gina and I said, it, things change too rapidly. And, and it, does, it does hold back people who see things differently.
2: So what are, your, um, what are some solutions that you guys are seeing with, um, you know, with people having the doctorate? Oh, let me ask this question instead. With people who have the doctorate, why does that matter in our society? Because that's been something I've toyed with for a long time, that whole concept of that other, like, uh, okay, so I was studying to go to school to get my doctorate, and uh, more people were interested in the fact that I had been invited to go to Hugh Hefner's house to the Playboy Mansion than they ever were in all the hard work I did to, um, you know, work towards my doctorate. You know, and so Uh there is a societal thing about having your Ph.D. as well. So I just wondered if maybe you'd address that theory of of why that's so important to us to have to have that proof.
0: Well, uh, Uh, there is. And I mean, it's that it's the, the, the piece of paper that you hang on the wall behind your desk that says, I have done this thing and and it but it, it 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 is important we we targeted and uh when when we were talking about bringing trying trying to bring this mainstream to a relative degree uh the the group that we selected to uh to offer the, the the these programs and credentials to were the ones the working adults who were out there, they did, they, they, they've they been out there, they've done it, uh, but nobody takes them seriously because, well, you know, you don't even have a master's degree. You know, where where, where do you think you're going? There was a, a movie uh, a while back. It was called Back to School. I don't know if you ever saw it uh, with Rod uh, Rodney Dangerfield but he was a very successful businessman his son was going to school but his father had always told him you'll never be anything without a degree and people who who are successful they 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 want they want that that credential they want the recognition that they've done something that that the mainstream people believe is is worthwhile so by taking it from an academic pursuit to an experiential pursuit we're we're leveling that playing field there There are people that that thrive in in formal education. There are those that don't. Uh, there was a study done uh, and submitted to the who was the, the the man at the time that was the secretary of health education and Welfare. That was before we had the the Department of Education, which came under Jimmy Carter. But the the report was, you know, we've got we've got these these wonderful institutions of higher learning. How are how are we doing at meeting the needs of the students? And the first thing, and it was a blue ribbon panel they had. High-ranking professors from Harvard, from UCLA, from Stanford, from the University of Chicago, and there were people from also from the HEW that were that were involved in in this the the task force. And the the first thing they learned was, and this was in 1971, we've got about a 50 percent dropout rate. 50 percent of the people who start a four-year program leave it. That was a big concern for them. I did some research not long ago, finding out how has that improved, it hasn't. It still hovers around 50%. The question is why, and that's what they wanted to find out, what the task force can And the the report said that uh, education has been homogenized. No matter what degree you're pursuing, if you go to any school. You're going to be able to get the basically the same coursework, and you can end up with the same degree at the at the end of the at the end of the trip. And then they said, well, that's that's sad because we used to have like Georgia Tech, that was a, that was a, a technical school. Uh, you had Texas A and M, that was agriculture and 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 uh, my, mine. I, all of these specialized schools now teach. The same, have the same curriculum with the same, uh, the same goals. So they said what we need are more schools, more diverse schools, and we need to break the credentials lock where the, the only education you can get that's worth anything is from these accredited universities. And they said this is not, we've learned this is not true. People learn in different ways for different reasons, and we need to open things up to the fact that there are other ways to learn than sitting in a classroom, and that's what experiential learning has has shown that people do learn there, in in their specialty, and everybody specializes when they get a degree in their specialty. Their their credentials are, are are you know a, a beyond reproach, uh, and I mean you you Gina with your with your experiential degree you know the degree in music absolutely i mean you i i I've, I call myself a musician, and then I hear somebody like you and i think well i'm I'm really assuming a lot of things, but it's it, it's absolutely amazing the things we learn, how we learn, and it's it's recognizing that that all counts. it doesn't have to come from Harvard or peru state or or the University of Nevada Las Vegas. People learn constantly, and that they, now we've arrived. It seems like an epiphany. Oh, wow! Lifelong learning. We should we should we should make that a a point. We've been learning all all of our lives. All of us have, and now somebody recognizes it and it becomes. Uh, well, the, we're we're a big proponent of lifelong learning. So, we're in a very everything. The world is in, is in flux right now. And it's just a matter of sorting things out and realizing that for all that we know, we'll never know everything, and, but we need to understand that people learn what they need to know to, to fulfill their basic desires or dreams and to assume that because it didn't come from here or there that it's, that it's of no value. That's, that's the big mistake we've made all these years.
1: About a year and a half ago, I got contacted by DePaul University, and they had just completed a study showing that they had a very high percentage of people who were dropping out of a four-year degree program. And they had tried to get to the underlying reason for that happening. They decided that What it looked like to them at the time was that people were not being held accountable. They didn't have accountability systems in their lives. And therefore, they were just not finishing their degrees. So the solution that they came up with, with all the deans of all the schools coming together to find the solution, was to create a coaching program that was going to be designed around helping people with accountability because they thought this would help considerably increase the number of people completing their degree. They Uh came to me because they knew I trained coaches. And I'm a DePaul graduate, so it just made sense. So I go out to Chicago and I spend about four days with them. And I said, you know, I'm happy to teach your faculty how to do coaching. That's not hard to do. But I think you're looking in the wrong place. And, you know, they have this amazing program, the first of its kind in the world. It has become a model for other experiential-based programs that are competency-based. And they didn't even pick up on that was the solution that they really needed. So at the end of the four days, I had done my little training. We had recorded it so that they could continue to train new people as they move forward. And they went forward anyway with implementing the coaching program. At the end of the first year, they had put this in place two semesters full school year. It didn't make a difference, even a little bit in helping to improve people continuing. And They wanted me to come back the next year, originally, to train the next group of people as coaches. Well, sure enough, by August of last summer, they called, they stopped the coaching program, and they are expanding the competency-based education into undergraduate degrees for people who are not adults. So I'm anxious to see what happens this summer as they look at the results that that brought, because... I agree wholeheartedly with you. People learn in different ways. And the issue isn't them not holding themselves accountable to the degree, it's, it's the type of education that they're trying to push. I think experiential yes. base is going to make the biggest difference.
0: And, 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 I, and I, I, I agree with you 100%, uh, Gina. I, I, I was, when we were in Malaysia, uh, we were, I, I told you we worked with a law college over there, and I was asked by uh, a friend of mine who was uh, one of the professors. He said, you know, we're we're in the, in the section of law where we're talking about, you know, uh, police actions and what police do. And uh, I, as a former policeman, would you come in and, and just just talk, you know, talk to the class, tell them a little about your experiences? I said I'd be happy to, happy to. And I went in. I did my I did my hour and. Um, after the, I said, if, if anybody has any questions, I'm. I'll be over here. You can, I mean, I, I had a few come up and ask me about my experience as a police officer, but I had this one, one young man come up to me and he said, "Can I ask you a question?" And I said, "Anything you want." He said, "What What do you do if you just don't want to do this?" And I said, uh, "What are you telling me?" He says, "I don't know why I'm in law school. I mean, mom and dad said." I need to get a good job, and law is a great profession, but I
1: don't wow. like it. <laughs> and
0: I go, I said, I said, I, you know, you, you don't. I said, if if your mom and dad want to come to talk to me, but I said, if you don't want to be here, you shouldn't be here. And I said, he, I, he said, well, tell me what to do. I said, no, 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 that's not the way it works. You've already been told what to do. I said what you need to do is to find out what it is you like to do and then see how you can how you can transform that into something that will get you where you want to go and but I, and, and as you said it's it's this you know you, you can't continually put a size 9 foot in a size 6 shoe you just can't do it
1: You just can't. You're absolutely right. And for our listeners, one of the things I really want them to realize about the conversation we're having is many of our listeners are actually coaches. This applies to you as a coach because you really need to understand how your people learn best, the people you're coaching. Yes, it applies to you as a learner as well but it's even more important to understand how your people learn because you will be that much more effective as a coach, mentor, or infopreneur. Would you agree?
0: Right. Yeah, I do. I agree. Uh and and, and I it, I love I love the, the your your choice of words. I mean, uh and I always I always think of, of people in the room as the learner. What do they want to learn? How can I help? It isn't what can I tell them they can use this. How can I help them learn what they want to know?
1: Yes, exactly. And not everyone learns the same way. Some people want to read. Some people want to listen. Some people want to watch. Some people want to look at pretty pictures. So I love the fact that there's so much video on the internet today and that Coaches and mentors, as a rule, think, oh, all my people want to learn in video. I, for one, am someone who hates video. I would much rather either read or listen. I'm going to learn it better. I'm going to learn it faster. You put a video in front of me, I'm going to go find somebody else to learn from. And you really need to understand that if you're in an information-based business. Or a coaching yes you, business.
0: absolutely absolutely and and it's it is interesting because i mean i i I've talked to a lot of you know you over the last the four years I was in Malaysia, i got had the opportunity to talk to so many different uh students, most of them uh young, but like you said uh, there are those who oh geez, i just i hate i hate sitting in a classroom for fifty minutes. And then you find others that say, oh, I need that structure. I I learn best in that environment. Absolutely. That's why, as, as you said, you have to have different ways to help people learn because they will learn differently than you, than you think. It's not up to you.
1: It really isn't. And so I like to teach people that, their goal should be to create one piece of content, turn that piece of content into all five creative formats, which means text, image, audio, video, and even a slideshow like a PowerPoint, for example. Beautiful. So that you don't just give it to people in one format, you give it to them in all the formats and let them decide which is going to be best for their learning style. And, openly talk about this in a coaching program, a mentoring program, or even an information product like a home study course. Because Uh more often than not, most people don't even realize that they can have choices in terms of how they learn. And if you can guide them to figuring out what their learning style is, they're going to be that much more effective in learning the materials you're providing them with.
0: Absolutely And it's uh, Listening to you I'm mean, i thinking about Back Into my uh, It it took me I'll I'll be honest with you It took me uh, 13 years To get my Undergraduate degree Seemed like Every time I got Into school And got doing well uh, We had a uh, We had a a Child And I'm going You know I kept asking my wife Why are you doing this Jimmy But um, You could I, that, using Red Badge of Courage uh, as an example for me, okay, I, I read this, and I need a book report on it. And I go, oh, God. I start to read Red Badge of Courage, and then I go, well, let me see. There's always Cliff's Notes. Uh, they can explain it better than I can. And then there, there were at the, at the time I was at, in the very early stages of my career, they, they were still making what they call Classics Illustrated. Which you know, gee, I can read a comic book and get the whole thing and enjoy it. So it, it, it was just a matter of what you know. How do you learn best? What do you learn? And then, and, and um, like you, like you said, what what does he, What does what should the outcome be? There were cu- classes I suffered through. There were classes I couldn't wait to get into the into it to, to listen to what was going on. But and that's of course that had to do with the person standing in front of the room but I would love to have taken a course from you because you have a good handle on how, how and why people learn.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. You and I are definitely going to have future conversations. Andrea, make sure that you get him in touch with me so that I can do whatever he needs me to do to see if I might be able to get my Ph.D.? Oh, my gosh, would that be amazing? Well, there's
2: no maybes about it. I mean, we know how well you work and how efficient you are. Um, You know, it's just a matter of uh, getting all the information in so that they can approve it because that's when I think knowing what I know about you. I I would be happy to send
0: you a packet out. (laughs) Please do, please do.
2: Let's tell other people how to uh get a hold of Jim um and the school so the other people who are like, Ah, me too, not just Gina <laughs> <laughs> they can get uh they can get the information too and look it over and see how that's a fit for them so that they can sure. get their degree. So where would they find Absolutely. you Jim? Yeah, so we need oh, your website. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, uh, the website is uh, uh, www.iuenow.com. iuenow. com.
1: Well, that's easy.
0: And to get to to get to me specifically, it's James at iuenow. com.
1: On <laughs> my way there myself. So we've got about seven minutes left for the show. What would you like our listeners to take away from this episode?
0: I, I well, and, and I appreciate this opportunity. The uh, and, and let me let me start out by saying it's it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor being on your show. Uh, I, I I always I, I consider it uh, a a pleasure to be able to. Tell somebody about what we are, where we've come from, and where we're headed. But to the the one thing I would I would tell anybody that's listening is um, you don't have to you don't have to settle for uh, you. Well, maybe that maybe you don't have to settle. You can do and go wherever you want to, whatever you want to do and wherever you want to go. It's a matter of keeping in touch with two things. Number one, change is inevitable. And it will, it will take place uh, either with your blessing or in spite of you. So just be able to adapt, be able to move forward. If you fail, and that's not a sin, If you fall, it it isn't how many times you fall down; it's how many times you get back up. Make sure you get back up one more time than the number of times you failed. I believe it was Steve Jobs that said, uh, "Fail early and fail often, because that's the quickest road to success." And I would, this success is out there for the ones for those who want it. And I've I heard had one person tell me, uh, well more than one. There's no opportunities left. There's no opportunity. All, all the all the really good opportunities have been taken. There's nothing. And I, I, I stopped and I said, "Do we live in a perfect world?" Well, no, of course not. I said, "Then there are opportunities. You just have to see them." And if I it, if I have the the, the the one point that I can leave you with is always look for the opportunities the the chinese character for crisis is a man that seems like he's kneeling looking over a precipice and crisis in the it, in the there it's two pictograms that are combined and the two elements of crisis are danger which is obvious The other one is opportunity. So in every crisis, there are opportunities. Find those opportunities, and the world will be the path to your door. That wasn't seven minutes, but... That is awesome,
1: and that is so
0: true.
1: You know, I I don't mean many entrepreneurs who hit it out of the ballpark their first try. Every one of them failed at first and eventually saw success. And boy, the comment you made about the person who, who thought all the opportunities were already taken, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, well, it, well, I look it at is. business yeah. in a very different way. When you're starting out in business, If you can take an idea that's already been successful and add your own unique innovation to it, you have a whole new business you can start. So go out and find those things that are already taken and look at how you can bring a unique innovation into it. And you will probably see success a lot faster. That's how I see it.
0: And for, and for all the crazy people out there who think about making it, changing the world, uh, it was another famous, uh, I'll call him, entrepreneur that said, he said, give me the crazy people. They're the ones that have the best chance at changing the world.
1: <laughs> I completely agree with that one for sure. Andrea, anything to add?
2: Well, I'll add something well, maybe so they, what they're doing with international, or excuse me, corporate heart international as well is quite amazing. Do you now? Now we're going to be short on time, Jim. So can you um, make that in a quick synopsis?
1: Ninety seconds. Uh,
0: oh, we
2: might have, oh there I, he is. Uh, go ahead, Jim. Well,
0: oh, did I, I? I'm sorry. I must have missed something.
2: So, Corporate Heart International, you have 60 seconds yes. to describe
0: it. <laughs> Corporate Heart International is a an organization dedicated to gender dynamics, which in a nutshell is helping men and women communicate. And it's not it's communication is the key to everything.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. And, that uh, sounds fascinating.
0: About,
2: yeah. They also talk about magical conversations that when you are able to reach that level of communication that crosses the, the gender uh, gaps and dynamics of how people respond and act and behave and speak, then they're able to achieve the highest success both for their businesses but their personal lives as well. So it's a really yes. great organization. So yeah, so that oh, what's you the, did a better uh, job uh, than the, I did,
0: and yeah. <laughs>
2: oh, to us together did good. What is the website for that?
0: Uh, is it Pauline's? The website for Corporate Heart International. Yes. I, I'll talk. I'll talk to the lady. Do you have a website yeah. for Corporate Heart International? His his wife is the uh, initial founder. Yes, we're putting founder it of together it. as we speak. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um her mm-hmm.
0: Yes. We have got it's the name of Corporate International dot com.
1: Well, Jim, thank you so much for being yeah. here today and for sharing your words of wisdom with our listeners. I am looking forward to exploring everything you're up to
0: at the
1: um, university and how I can participate.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for the just- opportunity. Gina and Andrea. I, Angel, thank uh, I, you so I much for
1: bringing honored. Jim on the show today. No no problem, we guys. are certainly Love honored it. to have you join us as well, Jim. And we will be back same time, same place next week. Make sure you go check out iuenow.com. Have a great week, everybody.